You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Good morning, church. If you have a Bible, grab it, or if you have one of those journals, turn to 1 Thessalonians and follow along with us. Yes, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly. And we're going to start a new series uh, this morning through the letters to the Thessalonians, which we have entitled Hope Shaped Holiness. Hope Shaped Holiness. And if you are a guest today, we walk through books of the Bible together because we want to know what God has to say, not what I have to say. Uh, Not what anyone has to say other than our God who has saved us in Christ. And we get to magnify Him through the preaching of God's Word. Now, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't have uh, one uh, at home, we would love for you to take one of those black-covered Bibles with you. uh, And uh, you can follow along with us on page 1046. Now, we started, uh, we started this sermon series as we've titled Hope-Based Holiness. Hope. Hope is something that we desperately need. Hope is something, if we were to turn on the news right now, there's not a whole lot of hope, is there? Not a whole lot of hope. There's a lot of uh, things that need to be reported on, but things that are sad, hard, difficult. There's a lot of things uh, on the news that don't produce hope. Instead, they produce anger or frustration. There's lots of things on the news that don't provide a sense of security, but instead provide a sense of worry and anxiousness. In the same way that we, in the 21st century, we right now could be anxious and afraid, insecure, in what God has done, this letter and these two letters in particular help us see that we have hope and a hope that transcends any circumstance, that transcends any news media, any news cycle, any day in any part of the world. Our hope transcends all of that. And I think as we come to the Letters to the Thessalonians. Church, we desperately need the words here in these letters that we believe is God's Word. We need these. We need hope today. And so as we start, as we look here through chapter 1, here's what we're going to see in the text. Paul gives thanks for the amazing work that the Gospel did in the lives of the Thessalonians and beyond. Paul knows that the gospel has been received by the Thessalonians and it continues to be received by all of those who are around them. Now, if you are a disciple today, if you've called on the name of Jesus and you're trying to walk with him faithfully, what are you to do today? What are you to do? Remember what kind of gospel you have. So that it may produce gratitude, effort, and endurance. Remember what gospel you have. One that produces 
hope. Now church, if, if we don't remember the correct, the right kind of gospel that we have received, we're tempted to fall away and to believe other gospels. We're tempted to believe in other things that they will save us, provide security, that they will cure the anxiousness, that they will provide the solution. We are tempted to fall away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if we're really honest, we're afraid. We're afraid. And the hope of the gospel gets, gets laid and we forget about it. We put it aside. But we must not forget. Instead, we must remember. And what Paul does here is beautiful in this first chapter. What he does, he talks about who the Thessalonians are and the gospel they received. And what it does is it actually provides hope to them and encouragement. And when we remember this gospel of hope, we are encouraged to endure. And we are deployed to disciple. We become an example to all of those around Youngsville, Wake Forest, and Franklinton. We become the kind of people that display a lasting and unchanging hope. We become a part of a disciple-making movement. And so... Church, I pray, I have prayed this week and I will continue to pray as we walk through these letters that we will be a church that has a hope that shapes our holiness. And so the church here in, in the Thessalonians, what we see here is they are suffering. They're, there's persecution. They're young. They need encouragement. But they held on to the gospel that they received. And we see, and I think John Stott, a pastor, said it best. He said that the gospel creates the church, which spreads the gospel, which creates more churches, which in turn spreads the gospel further. This is God's plan for ongoing evangelism through local churches. The way that God spreads hope Throughout the world is local churches where people gather together and declare that they have hope not in anything else but in the hope of Jesus. And so I want to show us this morning. I want, I want to let Paul show us, remind us of the gospel that we have. So four aspects of the gospel that we have this morning. Number one, remember you have a deep gospel. You have a deep gospel. And one that provides relationships. Look there at verse 1. Paul, Silvanius, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. If you remember back in the book of Acts, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were the three men who went to Thessaloniki and they planted the church. Paul was on his third missionary journey. Silas and Timothy were a part of the team, but the Jews ran them out of town. The Jews rioted after they went to actually plant the church. They started to gather together. And they were opposing the gospel. 
And so this letter is in response to the separation that Paul had with this young church. And he writes very pastorally to address their concerns and to provide care for these young Christians. This is the first letter that we have in the New Testament. And so it is very early on in Paul's ministry. And we see here that Paul cares deeply for these people. And notice, not only do they have a relationship with Paul and Silas and Timothy, they have a relationship with God and with Christ. They've not only been connected to Paul, these Gentiles have now been brought near to God through Christ and His gospel. This word in is relational, as they have been brought in relationship with God. And it's God the Father who cares deeply for His people, so much so that He sent Jesus into the world to die for us. But they were brought to the Father through the Lord Jesus. And this relationship to Jesus is, yes, as a Savior, which we're going to see at the end of verse 10. But this relationship to Jesus is one as Lord. Which means He has authority and a right to every aspect of our lives. And so we come to a relationship with God through submitting our lives to the Lord Jesus. And as we end here, in this verse, it's easy to skip over those two words, grace and peace to you. They've become so common, they're so Christianized today, it's easy for us to just walk right by those two words. And what I want you to see is, is that God's grace has been provided for salvation and the, and the power to live out the gospel. God's grace results in peace that we need. And this peace helps provide hope. It's gospel relationships, both with Paul and his team and with God in Christ that produces endurance in the Christian life. The Christian life needs relationships. But the gospel that we have, which is deep, also produces deep gratitude. Look there at verse 2. We also thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. Paul's relationship with this young church through the gospel produces a deep gratitude. And this gratitude is acted on, it's, it's displayed in his prayer to God. He says that we always thank God. This is regular, often consistent and powerful times of prayer. Probably daily and extended times with their names and their faces in mind. And here, this prayer is based on God. Right? For the Greeks, they would have to go to their deity and they'd have to argue, why should this deity listen to them? But no, Paul gets to go to God and express his gratitude based on what God has already done in the Thessalonians. Paul is thankful for the past and present work and what God is doing in their lives. Are you in prayer for our church family regularly? Are you in prayer for our church family regularly? Now, not just the things that frustrate you or hurt you, and not just for those of us who are healing from sicknesses. Are you grateful for our church family 
And does this gratitude drive you to pray to God? Because that's what, that's what happens to Paul here. He's so grateful that it drives him to thank the Lord on behalf of them. He remembers their faces and their names. And he goes to God and he prays on their behalf. You have a tool. We have a tool, a simple tool now with technology. We have a church directory. It's online. It's got all of our names. You can upload a picture. You can list information. You can use that tool to pray for each other. It's what Pastor Ryan do. When we pray through our membership, we look through our membership directory. We look and think about you. But a church that is only as deep in as much as it prays for one another. So we should be challenged here by Paul who prays for these people. May we pray for one another, for the marriages in our church, for the children in our church, for the jobs in our church, for the evangelism of, of our church. Everything that we do, we should bring to the Lord in prayer. Our gratefulness should bring this out. And also, it's not just in prayer. But does our gratitude overflow verbally? Like, do you tell people you're thankful for them? Parents, do you tell our child care workers, hey, thank you so much for serving and taking care of my kids today. Hey, thanks so much for bringing that food on second Sunday. Hey, thanks so much for your kind words. Thanks so much for your letter in the mail. Does gratitude overflow both in prayer and in verbal affirmation? Because for some of us, we may not know. We may not, may not know that you're grateful for us. May our gratitude be produced through prayer and verbally to each other. And we have a deep gospel also that produces deep godliness. Look there at verse 3. We recall in the presence of our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. During this prayer... Paul recalls the triad of Christian virtues. And these virtues are in the lives of the Thessalonians. Let's look at each of these quickly. He says, your work, which is manual labor, it's produced by faith. Right? Faith always has the outcome of good works every time. And that's what this word work here means. It's producing work, Ephesians Two out of us. And it's this act of believing, this faith, this act of believing towards God, in God. It's outward. And secondly, their labor. It's hard. It's exhausting. And this labor is toward others. It's for others. Right? It's service to others. Right, God is the author of love, and those who have received that love now work to show that they love others as well, both inside the community of our church family and outside of the church family. But this work is hard. It's exhausting. This word labor is different than the word work. Paul is highlighting that this is exhausting work. I had to ask myself this question this week. Are we exhausting ourselves for one another? Are you exhausting yourself for the sake 
of your brother or sister here. That's what the Thessalonians were doing. They were pouring themselves out like a rag and they were laying it before each other and helping each other walk in faith towards Christ. Are we exhausting ourselves for each other? Why? For endurance. Endurance. This steadfastness and suffering or persecution, right? It's inspired how they know the hope. They know what the future holds. Right? Their source of endurance is that they know what is going to happen in the future. It's a solid confidence and expectation towards what God will do in the future. And to be honest, Thomas Watson said this the best. We're not so sure we will rise out of our beds in the morning. As as sure as we are that we will rise out of our graves. We may not know if we will wake up tomorrow morning, but I am assured that whenever Jesus returns, I will rise out of the grave. That's the hope that we have. Will we, as a church, as Covenant Hope Church, as a gathered body of believers, will we press on this way? Will we press on despite suffering or hardship or opposition? That's the question. That's the question of a true church. Will it persevere in times of opposition? Because all of these virtues here that are listed, they're virtues that are vibrant realities in the lives of these people. Right? They present themselves not just here, but in the world. The world sees that we have faith, hope, and love. That those virtues then work themselves out in real tangible ways. Remember that you have a deep gospel. One that can help us be grateful, work hard, and produce endurance in our lives. But we also, church, have to remember you have a declared gospel. A declared gospel. Look there at verse 4. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you. So we have a declared gospel To us whom God loves. And again, we see this relational language, brother and sister. And we see it throughout these two letters. 19 times in the first letter, brothers and sisters. And then nine times in the second letter. Paul is talking about what has God done. He's brought people from all kinds of backgrounds together into a family. They've been adopted into God's family. And Paul beautifully expounds on this doctrine of adoption in the book of Ephesians, where we see God, Paul talk about what God has done in Christ and for us, that we've now been brought into his family. But this relationship is not just happenstance. Like we didn't just impress God. We didn't make our way to God. No, you see that we are dearly loved by God. Or this love is in the past. Right? Romans 5, 8 says that God loved us while we were still His enemies, still sinners. But His love now redeems us. And it's out of this love that He chose you. God chooses you based on love, not on our merit in any way, shape, or form. In this choosing, this election, God does the same thing to Israel. 
And he tells them, I didn't choose you because you were the best nation. In fact, you were the smallest nation. But I chose you because of how great and kind and merciful I am. This is the kind of God that we have. That He would choose us based not on our merits, which we know don't meet the standard, but based on His love that He freely gives. And for some of us, this doctrine of election can be difficult to wrap our minds around. But what I want you to see here is that it's that doctrine that matters a ton. Why? It's the great love of God in Christ that God transforms a community of people so that the world can then see a transformed community so that they might experience that same transformation. God's love is given because He chooses you so that we may now be an example to the world. And in fact, in some ways, God is choosing those who have not professed faith yet through you. And how you live out the gospel. And so yes, you have a declared gospel because God loves you. God loves you. This means that you are dearly loved. No matter what you brought through those doors today, no matter what sin that you went back to, no matter the struggle you had, no matter how you treated someone, no matter what you said or what you thought, you are dearly loved by the God of the universe. And if that doesn't produce hope in us, I don't know what will. God loves you no matter what. No matter what. We have a declared gospel through God's might. Look look there at verse 5. And I want you to see, how, how does the Thessalonians, how do we know they were indeed chosen and have the gospel? How do we know that? How does Paul know it? How do we know that they are true, lasting, legitimate, and serious church? Well, Paul provides evidence for us knowing that they were chosen by God. Look there at verse 5. Because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power in the Holy Spirit and with full assurance. Paul says he knows that they're a church. Why? Because our gospel was received. That is the gospel of Jesus. What he means by our gospel, he differentiates between other gospels, but the gospel of his is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's the message that Paul, Silas, and Timothy proclaimed to them. Now notice, this gospel came in word, but not just in word. The planting of the church was a direct result of clearly declaring the gospel That they are to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and repent and turn away from their idols. But they did not just use fancy words to persuade them into believing. No. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In verse 1 he says, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. It's the exact same thing here to the Thessalonians. Yes, it came in word, in a clear word, but it was accompanied with more than that. Words are needed, and words matter. 
how we say things matter. But if we say things that God's not in, it means nothing. God has to work for us to receive the gospel. And that's why it says here, it came in power by this idea of miracles, which was confirming the message. How is a Christian's message confirmed today? Through their life transformation. God is still working. We trust in a living God who does miracles. And our God is still in the business of doing miracles. You know why I know that? Because He brought a dead sinner like myself to life. We believe in a God who does miracles. And for you, for those of you who have simple testimonies, like I feel like I have, that's not a knock. Because you were dead in your sin. And He brought you to life. Now And now provides an opportunity to work and to live out the gospel. You are an example of the power of this gospel that these people believed. And this power was through the Holy Spirit as well. These words must be accompanied by the Spirit's work. The Spirit must go into our hearts and reveal the truth of the gospel because if not, we will never understand it. We will never receive it. And as, I've, as I walked through this, this verse this week, I, I just had to wonder, would things continue as they were here in our church if the Holy Spirit left? If the Holy Spirit left right now, would we just be able to continue 95% of the things we do? The busyness, the programs, the Sundays, missional communities. Like, would we just be able to continue to do those things? Would we even miss Him at all? Or are we so dependent on God working that we beg the Spirit to work in our lives? May we never be a church who functions by ourselves, but rather we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit to work in and through us daily. And now, this is also with full assurance. That's deep conviction. Right? And this conviction of, is of the messengers, right? Paul says that we were fully convinced of the message that we proclaimed to you, that we provided to you, and it's more than personal. This conviction, this assurance can only be from God. We have a declared gospel. One that shows us God's great love. And this should produce gratitude and endurance in our lives. But we also, church must remember, that you have a displayable gospel. A displayable gospel. And a displayable gospel is the outworking of the Christian life, which we would call discipleship. Right? Discipleship needs mentors. Look there at verse 6. You know how we lived among you for your benefit. The gospel must be displayed. It must be shown. But notice the chain reaction that Paul uh, recounts. First, all of Paul's team work for the Thessalonians' benefit. It was for their good. And they know this is the case. That Paul and company, they lived for them. That they preached the gospel to them for their benefit. And their behavior lined up with the message that they preached. There was a harmony in the missionary's message and their character. 
Right? It did not contradict each other. In no way, shape, or form. I think it's easy for us to contradict the message that we proclaim. Not because we're trying to, but because we, we're not thinking about it. So what are some of the easiest ways for us to contradict the gospel message today? We have no compassion for those around us, for our neighbors. Maybe we are in some shape or form, we're living in some sort of hypocrisy. Not because, I'm not saying it's because it's something that we are, I'm saying it's something that we can fall into. It's easy for us to, to put on a, a facade that we have all things put, to, put together. It's also easy in, a, in the age of social media to make us look better than we actually are or to get involved in things that don't matter or things that are false. Or so there's easy ways for us to contradict the gospel. And, the, and what Paul does, he says, no, we didn't contradict it. In fact, our gospel was held up by our character. And notice what happens because of their lives. And you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord, when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. Or the emphasis now shifts to you, to them. They are now the ones that Paul is talking about. They become like the missionaries from the Lord. Right? In this path of discipleship, we need mentors in our lives. We need mentors that we become like. My boss, who's a dear friend at the seminary, my wife makes fun of me. She says, I'm just like him. And, if, and it, as funny as that may be, if I'm really honest, if I grow up to be like him, a man who loves the Lord, loves his family, gives his life for the gospel, I'm okay with that. Because we all need people that we aspire to be like, who give our lives to, so that we can help others see the gospel. We need this. So do you have someone that you look up to? Are you being someone that can be looked up to? But also notice this gospel is coupled with persecution, with opposition to it. Right? And this is a great distress on these young Thessalonians. As they are in extreme trial and temptation and they're suffering at the hands of the Jews. And I want you to notice, suffering is not based on you. It's not based on you or your circumstances. Suffering is based on the gospel's opposition to the world and sin. Suffering happens when we proclaim a gospel in an area, in a world that automatically rejects it. And so we're going to receive opposition. This is always going to be the case. The gospel is light expelling the darkness and what does darkness do when light hits the room? It runs. It runs. And it will always run. And so we have to know that this opposition is only going to keep happening. It's only going to continue. But instead of opposing the gospel, like the Jews, the Thessalonians welcomed it. That is, they received the gospel in the face of that se severe persecution. And they actually did it. Notice, they actually did it with joy. This is clearly a supernatural mark of God's work in their lives. This couldn't happen outside of God. This couldn't happen any other way. 
We see joy and it only comes through the Holy Spirit. This opposition couldn't destroy God's work in these people. It couldn't destroy the gospel message. And church, just to be really honest with you, we have experienced a time where we don't have opposition or oppression or uh, persecution because of the gospel in our country. And praise God for that. And whether that increases or decreases, the question that matters for us is that will we persevere to the end? Will we persevere to the end? Because time, time is the only thing that will play that out. Will Covenant Hope be a church that perseveres through opposition? Will we be ready for when it comes? My job, Pastor Ryan's job for for us, is that we prepare ourselves for when that opposition comes. That we may stand truly on the gospel. And we may proclaim it and hold to it and hope in the future. And not hope in security or in safety. But hope in the Lord who gave His life for us. So how do we know that the Thessalonians are elect and beloved of God? Because they've received the Spirit. But how do we know that they've received the Spirit? Because their behavior has evidenced it. They, those disciples are filled with joy despite some of the most horrific circumstances. They are now modeling what it looks like to follow Jesus. Which brings us to verse 7. Discipleship needs models. Paul says, As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. These mentees have now become the model. Imitation displays the joy which the Holy Spirit produces despite persecution. And as a result, they respond. Their response is joy in the gospel. And it's modeled for others to see. The you here, which is the whole church, is That's hardly ever a phrase used by Paul. But he says, you as a church have become a model for others to witness. And this is Paul's expectation, right? He says this of Timothy and Titus. The expectation is for you to become a model, to teach others who will follow. That's what happens in the Christian life. But Paul says it's the entire church. Their example reaches far, even to Macedonia and Achaia. Thessalonica, Uh, Thessalonica was a port city. It was a major commerce hub. It was a very strategic place for Paul to minister and for them to plant a gospel because they were surrounded by other cities. And it looks like what Paul did, it paid off because they've reached these cities. But understand that Macedonia and Achaia, they're weeks away. They're not for us to drive down to Wake Forest or for us to drive up to even to Henderson or for us to drive down to Raleigh. No, this is like us going to Richmond, Virginia or us going to Rock Hill, South Carolina or for us to go to Gallenberg, Tennessee. That's the kind of distance that we're talking about here. This modeling of the gospel has been spread far and wide. And that's the extent of how living out the gospel impacts those around them. My prayer is that this could be said of us. That our church one day could be said 
how we endured persecution and hoped and had joy in the face of that persecution, that it spreads to Raleigh and to South Carolina and to Georgia and to Florida, to Central America, to South America and all across the world. My hope is that we are seen as a church that holds dear to the gospel. That we are the same here as these Thessalonians. We have a displayable gospel. One that produces joy and endurance. But finally, church, remember, you have a deploying gospel. A deploying gospel. And as most of you know, we get oil and gas from fossil fuels. That's from animals and plants that have decomposed into the ground. And we can use them for energy. Right, and you see, this fossil creates a fuel, but it isn't any good crystallized and fossilized in the earth. We have to go get it, and we have to use it. It must be used for a purpose. Right, so for remembering the gospel is for a purpose. It's not to reminisce. It's not to think of the good old days. There's a reason. We have a deployable gospel. Look at verse 8. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. We have a deployable gospel which must be proclaimed. It must be proclaimed. The purpose of remembering this gospel, what it's done for the Thessalonians, is to push them into the future. It's to push them in on mission for God. This is what happens to them. The word of the Lord, which is that gospel message about Jesus, rang out. That's this clear, loud, trumpet-like sound. It's clearly heard. This is evangelism, which Paul is focusing on here. It's the church's activity. It's what they do. They proclaim the gospel. So remember, remembering must never leave us dissatisfied, but push us into the future on mission. We must focus our efforts as a church on evangelism. This is where I think we can grow as a church, both individually and corporately, so that we show the world that this is the hope of the gospel, that we call people to faith through repenting and believing in Jesus. We invite people here into what we're doing so they may see that there is hope here, hope in us. And that we serve a community that is in desperate need of the hope that the gospel proclaims. Whether through its MCs or our jobs or schools or whatever it may be. That we go and serve so that we may then have a door to invite or a door to share or a door to call to respond to the gospel. And church, we, this is so true, we talk about the things that we care about. We talk about the things that we care about. Pastor Ryan talks about NC State. As hard as that may be. As hard as that may be. He talks about it. Right? We talk about the things that we care about. So now I'm, I'm very serious. A lot of us struggle with evangelism, but if we, just, if we cared enough about the gospel, we would talk about it. We would figure out ways to transition the conversation because it's not hard to ask people, hey, did you watch the game last week? then it must not be hard for us to say, 
hey, how are you doing? What, what, do you, what do you believe is going on in our world today? How are you handling that? What's your source of hope? If we believe, if we care deeply about the gospel, then we will help turn conversations toward it. We don't fear bringing up the score of the game. We don't fear bringing up the weather. That's the easiest comment. Hey, the weather looks nice today, right? But if we care deeply about this gospel, then we get to easily turn the conversation. We must grow in this. Must grow in evangelism. Because that's how the gospel spreads. And notice here the scope at which Paul speaks about this evangelism. He says, but in every place your faith has gone out. You couldn't speak of their evangelistic activity only in the region, but everywhere. Which we know this is hyperbole used by Paul. But it, the point remains the same. right? They are spreading the gospel. Their reception of the faith turns to reproduction of the faith. Reception of the faith turns to reproduction of the faith, which is the mark of a true church. And notice, size is never mentioned. Not once here. He doesn't tell them, I am so thankful that all the people in Thessaloniki brought and came to the gospel. No. What's he concerned about? He's concerned about their faith and activity. That's what makes the impact. So what is our attitude and what is our activity? Could this be said of us in Wake Forest, Youngsville, and Franklinton? And notice it's not just the word of the Lord, but it's their faith that's gone out. It's the gospel message coupled with living out faith in Jesus. Church, we must be transformed. We talk about it all the time. We are disciples being transformed in the image of Jesus. Our message must be coupled with a transformed life. Must be coupled with a transformed life. Why? What's the effect of that? Look there. Continue in verse 8. Therefore, we don't need to say anything. For they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you. How you turned to God from idols and are now serving the living, true God. Everyone in and around Macedonia and Achaia report to Paul and others about how the Thessalonians received the gospel. They welcomed Paul. They welcomed the gospel and the Lord. They were people of peace. They turned away. They gave a true response to the gospel. And this reception included them turning away, abandoning from idols. To number two, serving. They were worshiping, doing right before the Lord. Before the living God who opposes idols, who is the opposite of those dead idols. And not only did they turn from them and serve God, but they also waited. They also waited. So our deploying gospel should produce hope. Look there at verse 10. They turned and they served, and then they wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This is the first mention of Christ's return in the letters, in uh, any of the letters, because they were the first ones written. And this is what produces hope in the Thessalonians. And therefore us, we wait for God's intervention in our lives, which produces confident expectation. It provides meaning and consequence in our lives. 
Hope helps us live in light of Jesus' return. And throughout this letter, Paul portrays the Thessalonians as people who live in expectation of Christ and orient their lives around His return. Hope in Christ must shape our holiness. Hope in Christ must shape our morality. And therefore, we must not believe that it's our holiness that shapes our hope. You see the difference there? That we don't have hope because we do right. No. We have hope because of a God who's acted on our behalf and now in that hope, we now are made holy. That's the point of the whole letter. That we now have a holiness that is produced out of our hope. Jesus is the Son of Heaven. The Son of the Father. He's from Him. He was raised from the dead, which is the core of the Gospel message. He's the living God. And the living God alone is able to give life to us. So this Jesus is also a historical Jesus. He's the person of Jesus. He's not separated from that. And so what is said about Jesus in the Gospels is said about the Christ. And so we now hope in Him. And Jesus is also our rescuer. Rescuer from what? From God's wrath. From His justice and judgment. God's wrath is going to be very important throughout these letters. It's right here, front and center, and it's there. We must deal with it. We cannot wash it away. God's wrath is being poured out on sin. But our Savior, our Redeemer, our Rescuer, Jesus, brings us away from that. And take heart. Take heart. Because no opposition you face right now, no persecution you face right now is God's wrath. Because Jesus saves us from God's wrath. And Paul ends his opening by reminding them of the hope that they have in Jesus. This hope produced by the gospel will help us endure until he returns. And God in Christ has produced a church who now lives empowered by the Spirit and our lives now display the gospel. The hope that we have is now deployed in every sector of the world. That we may show the beauty of a gospel in which the Lord of the universe stepped into the world, into the mess, into the muddiness, took on our sin and paid for it on a cross. That's the gospel. That's what we hold to. That's why we are deployed. So will you join me? Will you go? And will you share? And will you live out this gospel? Pray with me. God, we love you. And we are so thankful for you. I pray that we are a people who are shaped by hope. That our morality, our holiness, our righteousness does not come from anything else other than the hope of the gospel. So God, may you work in us and through us. May you use us. May you deploy us because we have a gospel that is so valuable. We need you and we ask you to work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.